scribble notes, uh, scribble notes when I wrote these quotes. If I offend, pardon me, there's more of me to grow. Creative in my process, enjoy the show. The will is different when you recognize the different strokes. Different folks, same goals, we all want the most. So when we reach the top, we can enjoy the toast. The type of bread we get is fresh about the bakery. Told them don't play with me. With or without a degree, don't question my intensity. Bravery, similar to agencies that want to see you fold. So just pray for me and pray for me. Yeah, I ain't starting with my energy. Welcome to the Scribble Notes podcast. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? I cannot complain. I can never complain, really. Um, why don't you introduce <laughs> yourself for the listeners and everyone at home? Or All right. Uh, well, my name is Garrett K. Jones. I am a uh, indie fantasy author and YouTuber from uh, from the West Coast. I'm, on, I'm in California, Central California. If you've ever heard of a little uh, little city called Fresno, which a lot of people have, uh, I'm about 45 minutes south there, and uh, I actually work in a, a portion of Fresno County called Clovis, which it's kind of a big city in and of itself, which is, I mean, like, the only thing that divides Clovis from Fresno is a highway, and that's it. Like, you literally cross under the uh, the overpass, and you're, in, you're either in Fresno or you're in Clovis, depending on which side you're on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm an author. I've got four books in an ongoing fantasy mm. series. I have a fifth book uh, that I'm working on now. Uh, we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, I do have another book that's out on Kindle and Audible. It's a book of poetry called The Lover, the Fighter, and the Philosopher. Mm. And then YouTube. And I do have my own podcast, which is kind of on hiatus at the moment. <laughs> so you're doing, you're doing a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Uh, why don't we talk about uh, your journey into writing, what that looked like? How, how, what got you doing this? What got you being creative? Um, well, it, it, I mean, I've always had this creative streak. Um, I always like to work on a variety of different projects. Um, the, uh, it really started probably in eighth grade. Um, we, my, the school I was going to, my, my teacher, uh, as part of a project, had us sit down and watch. Um, the original 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film on VHS, because that's how old I am. And, uh, and the project that we had to do was we had to draw a picture of ourselves interacting with the turtles. Like, you know, what if you met the Ninja Turtles? How does that come about? You had to write a story that explained the picture. Um, and it was kind of my first foray into doing uh, fan fiction. Um, and from there, I kind of just it carried on as kind of a natural progression. I always had this, this massive uh, imagination. And so everything that I encountered, the things I was a fan of, I would start enacting those and, and playing that out. So like as a kid growing up, Ghostbusters was a big thing. So I'm, I'm kind of geeking out right now because the new Ghostbusters film is out. Um, and so like as, as a kid, I had the Proton Pack toy and so I like, like as soon as my kindergarten graduation was done, I put that thing on. I ran out to all my neighbors and I'm like, hey, do you guys have any ghosts that you need caught? And they're like, go away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of started from there. So I started making up my own stories. And um, like I, I had a bunch of action figures that like all the popular toys that were coming out, I didn't have access to, like especially by the time I was like in fourth or fifth grade with Power Rangers. That was a big thing. Um, and so those toys were constantly just flying off the shelves. I never had access to any of them. And 
so I would, I would create my own stories using the toys that I had to stand in for those figurines that I was missing. Um, and it got to the point where the stories weren't enough for like, I would, I would start one adventure. I would play until I was bored or get done or whatever. And then I would, it would, and then I'd pick it up the very next time. And I, so I had all these things, all these components, all these different toys that I would, I would use uh, in the capacity for that. And then it just became a natural progression to start writing things down. Um, especially as I was, a, I was an avid reader. Um, I like to create things uh, on, on paper. And so that's how it got started. Um, eventually, uh, as I was going through high school and college, I started developing all these characters that I wanted to use for comic book characters, but I realized I couldn't draw very well. I mean, I, I can draw okay. Um, but I, I know, you know, six and seven year olds who can draw way better than I can. Mm. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher in Clovis and I have students who have a fantastic capability with being able to draw. And I just, I wish I had just like a 10th of that talent, but where I lack in the, in the artistic ability, I make up for in the, the, the writing. And so uh, I, that's really where my strengths have always been. And so it just became a natural progression. And eventually the characters that I was designing, you know, 20 years ago became characters that eventually uh, are in my books. Mm. Um, a lot of them were based off of people I was really close to, whether it was family members or friends or um, other people that I encountered. Uh, and eventually they just, they kind of took on a life of their own. They evolved it. And I, I, I found that the best medium instead of modern day comic book superhero and supervillain adaptations would have been um, uh, a fantasy, medieval fantasy. Mm. Uh, the characters work much better in that, in that genre. And that's kind of just how it progressed. I love that. I love it mostly because, so I'm, I'm huge in the toy thing. Like my brother and I, we used to tell stories, both my brothers, actually, we told so many stories with toys. Uh, we used to get these WWE wrestlers. So I really, I, I really relate to that. Like plots, <laughs> storylines, building characters, uh, spending hours and hours on that, just, just creating um, from the most organic places. It, we didn't stop. I don't think we, I, it was so hard for us <laughs> to stop. <laughs> I might've been like in eighth grade, still like playing. Like I, I had so many stories I wanted to tell. So I always, I always feel like that's a really cool place to start because once you start writing, you really get to explore it even more. And as you create more characters, even in younger years, it's like those characters never go away. Absolutely. In fact, well, it's kind of fun because like now as an adult, all those toys that I wanted to have as a kid, I can now, I can go and acquire them. Although they're way more expensive these days. <laughs> um, and, but like, Earlier in the year, when Hasbro launched the uh, their version of the uh, of the original classic Megazord from Power Rangers, I was finally able to get my hands on it. Which is like, it's like half the size of the one that Bandai put out. The stickers aren't as good. The plastic is not as high quality, but it's fun to have. And because my son is really big into dinosaurs and robots and cars, all at the same time, uh, it was a natural progression for him mm -hmm. to get him involved. So. You know, initially it started off as just like a prop that I had sitting in his bedroom. Now he plays with it. Um, and what's really funny is 
Uh, I tried getting him to watch some of the, the classic Power Rangers episodes and he likes it. He recognizes the characters. He knows who they are. Um, but there are some things that I did not anticipate. And so like we were watching uh, a couple months ago, we were watching through the, uh, the five episode Green Ranger arc where they had that, where mm-hmm. they introduced Tommy for the first time. And I forgot there's an episode where, uh, where the Megazord is uh, powered down because of, the, uh, because of a, a solar eclipse. And it just falls apart and all the Zords go underground. And my son took that so personally, like he was screaming at the TV. He was so, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I am, I'm just the worst. Um, so, uh, so I brought out the, I brought out the Megazord and I let him play with it because then he could put it all back together. He could play with it individually and it calmed him down. Um, there was another episode where he, he, the Power Rangers lose their abilities to morph and, he knew that if Jason had his powers, he could get the whole team out of the situation. And so he like he demanded that he get a chance to wear one of the helmets. And I'm like, and I've got a Red Ranger helmet. So he, I'm like, okay, here you go. Put it on. He looked like one of those Funko Pop bobbleheads. Because <laughs> he's tiny little body, gigantic helmet. Um, <laughs> very, very, uh, very top heavy. And it, it's it's the most adorable thing. So uh, I get to pass on some of those fandoms to him a little bit, but I get to help him develop his own and it's, it's been fun. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome feeling. <laughs> that's awesome feeling. Um, so I want to get into your writing. You said you have a series. Um, I want to know more first off uh, four, four books already, four books already. So I actually started writing this series um, Back in May, June, July of 2001, I was living in Japan as an exchange student at the time. Mm. And uh, I had a, a, these, a lot of these were the characters that had started off as comic book characters. And I had segued them into, into this genre. And I started writing it. And um, a couple of years in, I got really bored with it. Uh, literally set fire to most of the actual notebooks uh, that had the rough draft in it. Cause it was just, it was a, the original version was very, very terrible. It had like nine protagonists mm. in one book, one villain. And it just, it was so lopsided. Um, so, so basically kind of like the Eternals only <laughs> not as protracted. Um, and so I, I, uh, I, kept a lot of the base sketches that I had done. A lot of the character designs um, stuck with me. And then I just started revamping the whole series. Um, And I've just kind of let it expand on its own. Initially I was only going to go for three books and it it got to the point where I'm like, I need it. There's more that I need to tell in this series. And so the first book, I actually published that uh, to Kindle originally in 2015 and about a few months later i got it published in paperback so it's it's in both um and then all the subsequent books i published simultaneously to kindle and paperback through amazon and so um i got so like i said i got the first one put out in 2015 the second one came out almost almost two years later to the day and then and that was in 2017 and then the third one, which books two and three actually coincide, they, they have overlap in the storytelling. And um, 
And so that one came out in October of 2017, which was really kind of a neat, I was really happy that that happened because that book deals with the vampires in my series. No, they don't sparkle. Uh, I'm a firm believer that vampires <laughs> burn in daylight. Um, they don't glisten. And so, and so uh, the, uh, uh, it, it was great because it came out right before Halloween. So having a vampire oriented book right before Halloween was just perfect timing. And then um, book four came out in 2018. So I've been working on book five for the last couple of years. Um, I'm actually coming close to the end of the editing process, or at least the, the, the second round of the editing process. At this point, I'm going to go into beta readers. Mm. And then once this is all done, uh, look at their insight and what they have to say and their comments, which hopefully they'll be kind. Um, and then, uh, you know, apply that feedback into the, the written portion and then kind of just go into the, the layout and formatting and all the fun stuff that goes into the actual, uh, post-production. Mm. So that's a long series. It's a lot of it, time, a lot of time writing. It yes. Like years. Uh, well, yeah. Which is funny. Cause like, as far as the books are concerned, the one that took me the least amount of time to write was book number two. Hmm. Um, book number one took the longest because I kept starting and stopping. And um, it took me a while to figure out how I wanted to, to pace out the, um, the prologue. I actually went through like four or five different versions of the prologue for book one. Hmm. And um, eventually I got to a point where it really works well for the story. It's, it's kind of long for a prologue. It's like 11 pages, something like that. Um, but the, but it sets the tone for everything that's going to happen in the rest of the series. Um, because you, you get this experience with a, a title villain that you don't see physically through the rest of the series. And, but you see the, the after effects it's like, because the rest of the series takes place about 200 to 250 years after the prologue. And so you get this one instance with the character and all you see is his fingerprints dotted throughout the rest of the series and all the things that he has encountered, all the things that he was a part of. And you're like, okay, cool. That's fun. Um, but then, uh, you know, the, the, for me, the point was to get it back to, I want to finagle this character back in cause he's a really bad character. And, um, and villains are so much fun to write. So, um, and it, it kind of throws a curveball, especially with this particular book, because the return of that villain from, from book one's prologue, you don't see coming at all. Um, well, I, gosh, I hope I'm not giving anything away. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of where I, I'm at with it. Uh, book two was actually the shortest amount of time to write. I started it in April of 2009, right as I was finishing up my bachelor's degree. And then uh, uh, New Year's Eve of 2009, I put the final punctuation on the, the original manuscript mm. and it was done waiting to be edited over the, no the next you know couple of years. Mm. I love that. I was going to yeah. ask, um, telling a long story like that, writing multiple books, telling a, a story with probably multiple plot threads and all those things. What has been the most challenging piece um, in telling a series? Because 
I've talked to people who've written standalones. Standalones are a little bit easier in the sense that you have to wrap the whole thing up by the end of this book. But for mm-hmm. a series, you have a lot of room. What, what's been the most difficult piece? Um, I think probably the most challenging, the most challenging aspect is the is just keeping everything straight. I mean, I, my brain's already chock full of so much arcana as it is. I mean, I, I'm the guy that my friends would call up and be like, Hey, there's a new Marvel movie coming out. What, what's, what's going on with this? Tell me about this. Because my, when I was doing my, my bachelor's degree, my background was in comic literature. I, I was the comic book nerd with all my friends. And, um, and so I, yeah, my, my brain wraps around the arcana really well, but just to make sure that I have things spelled out the same way consistently. That's where I, that's where I have struggles. Um, and so I, I put together a whole list of all the special words that I put in my books, all the names, all the locations, uh, all the descriptions and definitions. That way I keep it straight in my head. So as I become more familiar with it, it it's really easy for me to go back through and, and do that. But I think the other part that's really challenging is I want to say it's not falling into meeting someone else's expectations. A lot of authors, especially, especially nowadays, they, there's this, this push to be as uh, inclusive and to hit so many demographics um, that it almost feels like you're having to deal with like, a contract with the BBC and, and I'm not, that's not how I write. I don't worry about agendas. I don't worry about uh, politics or, or demographics or anything like that. Um, I write characters and I write situations that I think will be entertaining, that they'll be, um, uh, they'll be captivating and they will have some kind of an emotional gravitas, but not to the extent of I'm putting in this character just because I want a reader to see themselves in this, in this story. Uh, that's that's not how it is for me um i mean like uh you know i it i I don't like having to create these little these little uh shoehorns for my Mm -hmm. characters that they're i don't want them to fit anyone's particular mold so like uh you know i had someone read through book one shortly after I, i had it published and uh, she got really mad because the way I went through the process of I, I killed characters and, and not just characters. I killed hero characters. And she's like, why would you do that? What is wrong with you? And I'm like, well, they had to die. There's a point to it. And, and she's like, why? And I'm like, well, because nobody survives real life. You cannot take life too seriously because you'll never make it out alive. And, you know, as, <laughs> as great as these hero characters are, they're not immune to mortality. And I mean, like this is the same person who got really pissed off because Han Solo died in the force awakens. It's like, well, Harrison Ford said he was only going to come back if they eventually killed off Han Solo. He came back. They killed off the character contract completed. Um, (laughs) So um, yeah. So like I, I have had struggles with people who get upset because 
the characters don't fit some mold that they want the character to fit. Mm. And that becomes problematic for me because then it's like, you're not appreciating the art for what it is. You're wanting it to fit into this, this box. And that's not how real people are. That's not how, how life is. It doesn't fit into a box super neatly. It uh, it'll do its own thing. People do mm. their own thing. Yeah. I think, I think make a good point because I've noticed a lot of people kind of right in that fashion right where they are trying to appease an audience versus creating art which is what writing is um especially with character creation for me i've always felt that a character they are them they are themselves um they are not a projection of you or someone else they're them and their decisions are theirs and this per this character will become bigger um, the more I allow them to exist in the state, in the way that they exist. Uh, it's, it was very interesting. One of the characters we, we came up with in our first book, my brother and I co-authored the first one, uh, was this character Asher. He was a gay character, but he was gay mm -hmm. because the storyline of him being gay was so powerful. Uh, when I started outlining the character, uh, basically his plot goes, his father... Um, who is the who's a god is looking for Asher, who's the king, to produce an heir. Um, Asher is gay and has a husband, can't produce an heir. So his father tells him that he will have to bed his husband's sister. And then that is the crux for his narrative because he doesn't want to do that. Uh, and then he then you deal with like, how do you get around this? How do you subvert this whole situation? How do you make it all work? Um and him being gay was a big piece of that, but that's really the only reason why his character was gay is because that storyline works best if he was um, versus if he wasn't. And I remember talking to a lot of people afterwards because people read the story. They're like, oh, you're it's super inclusive. I was like, if you really think about it, Asher as a character really doesn't do or have anything specific about him being gay that ever really comes up. It's literally just that storyline. Um, and we almost don't, I don't even explore it. It's just the aspect of who he is um, as a character. And I think a lot of people, they almost would do that and then make it such a prominent piece of the story. Uh, because in reality, no one likes Asher as a character because he's, he's one of my favorite types of characters to write, which is a condescending, like... Just a terrible person. He's just a terrible person. <laughs> He's a self-centered, very, very. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. He, the type of person that'll leave you fighting the fighting all of the all of the bandits on your own while he oh, hides, so, and then after so you like, find he's him, like, he's like he's like a human being. Okay, yeah, he's a human being. He's so, <laughs> he's worried about himself. Um, and it was fun because a lot of people just got upset at the end of it, and, were, and I was like, that's just because that's who he is. Like, he's not anyone's favorite character for the sole aspect that he's just a person. Um, and even with him having that identity, that identity doesn't define whether or not you're going to like him. And I didn't want him. I didn't want him to be liked because of whatever reason. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people, because um, I've read some other stories where people really put a spotlight on all of these other factors. And I think it detracts from the overall narrative because they're spending more time trying to sell you on a character versus just telling a good story yeah or or for example and i mean like or like trying to recreate moments like mm. uh, like i mean if you go 
Star Wars is a is a prime prime example. Um, you know, you look at you look at basically the the Force Awakens, and it's a rehash, almost beat by beat, of uh, of a New Hope. And because and part of that has to do with the fact that a Disney had like no plan involved with the actual creative process of the sequel trilogy, but two, you also had J.J. Abrams, who in and of itself having him as the director like the guy has no creative bone in his body like nothing is original with him it's always he's always remaking somebody else's Mm -hmm. work or trying to make his work look like theirs and people think oh yeah that's really fresh and innovative no it's he's a copycat he's exact he's he's a walking talking xerox and uh and uh like the the thing that i i you know, coming into the stories, like if, if you're looking for moments, go, go watch a Hallmark movie because mm-hmm. Hallmark movies are, that's all they are. It's a series of moments. It's literally like copy and paste. Every single film ha- that Hallmark puts out has literally the exact same plot points. Mm-hmm. The only thing that changes is whether or not the, uh, the female lead is bron- blonde, redhead or brunette. Um, they, uh, and then the the male lead is usually some kind of blue collar type guy, uh, and if he's not blue tall blue collar, it's because uh, there's something very different about him, very unique that he stands outside of the the, the status quo of that particular career field. And it's like, okay, okay, let's let's. I mean, I could sit there and and do Mystery Science Theater three thousand with Hallmark all day long and just and just rip it up one side and down the other. Um, I usually do that mostly to annoy my mom, but yeah, I mean, the, the stories that we write, it's not about the inclusivity. It's not about, you know, making characters fit a mold or whatever, or, or hammering out these, these moments in the story. It's about, I mean, if, if you look at real life, the drama of real life is based on the choices that people make and how they respond to those choices and the consequences. Mm. Same thing goes with, with, you know, when you're writing a, a good book, I mean, a, a case in point, uh, towards the, the third act of my first book, I have a character who is told that, um, because partway through the, the first book, uh, the, a character makes a decision. He is, he is working with a would be mentor and he's given a choice. He can either, step into uh, the training that he needs to start right then and there and become this augmented high powered individual that he's, he's meant to be, or he can go and rescue uh, the woman he loves or that he's starting to fall in love with because she's a friend and he, he cares about her and he wants to protect her. And he makes a choice that comes back to bite him and that because he, uh, because of the choice he makes, uh, the people, the characters that back him and that, that support him, they pull away from him. They basically reject him. And, um, mm. uh, just because of a choice. And it was because he had to deal with the consequences of that choice. Um, and while it, while it angers him, he deals, he deals with it and he, the, and the entire second book follows his trajectory as an individual character outside of his book. One's an ensemble cast book two focuses just on him. And so he's dealing with 
the repercussions that happen and the consequences that happen because of the choice he makes. And it's all about him learning that difference. And that's where all the drama plays in. And so you see him making rash decisions. Um, and it's those rash decisions without thoroughly thinking through the consequences that lead him to the next step of his, of his journey. And eventually where he comes to the point where he needs to start thinking of those things. He needs to start, uh, you know, he needs to start paying attention to how his choices affect himself and everybody else around him. We interrupt this episode to talk a little bit about Sun Scholars. Sun Scholars is a nonprofit committed to improving educational equity and college graduation rates for those students who have experienced foster care or adoption. Sun Scholars Inc. is dedicated to serving Connecticut's former foster youth with a student-first mentality. Their goal is to support individuals and help them reach their best outcomes. If you'd like to learn more about Sun Scholars or how to donate, check out their website, sunscholarsinc.org. That's sunscholarsinc.org. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I think the consequences piece is major. It's just when you're, when you're writing a story... I feel like a lot of times the stories that fall flat for me are stories where characters don't have agency, where they where they almost feel like their decisions don't matter, where there is no no consequence. Like if they mm -hmm. didn't choose this, then nothing would be different. Um, yeah. I think the best stories are stories where you really do see the consequence of a choice and you have to the character has to deal with it. And then seeing how they cope, seeing how they deal with it, and maybe how they overcome from overcome it, or how they how they uh, decline or go spiral into the pit of woo and sadness. I love both of those ends, um, and I think that's what we, what the best or better authors do. Um, they try to make their choices matter. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is there. What's also makes it interesting is when you have characters having to deal with the ramifications of the decisions of other characters mm. uh, because you know while we are subject to the consequences and repercussions of our own decisions in real life we also suffer from the consequences of other people's decisions um, anyone who's ever been related to someone with an addiction um, whether it's a sibling parent cousin best friend whatever you you know you're you're impacted by the consequences of their bad decisions or their good decisions um, with uh, anybody who, I mean, I mean, think about, think about a marriage, for example. I mean, if, if a, a husband or, or a wife chooses to leave their spouse um, you know, the, the family, the just not, not just, not just the, the person who's leaving, but the person who's being left, the family who's being left, they have to deal with those consequences as well, because there's uh, culturally, there's certain stigmas that, that pop up from that. And so treating the characters in a book like real people and the decisions that they make being real decisions makes them more tangible, makes them real to the, to the audience, to the reader. And at that point, that's where you get that, that feedback. Um, and it's, it's kind of neat to see how that plays out. Because um, I, I think you're right, the, having letting the characters have agency, but also to be impacted by the agency of other characters mm -hmm. is, I think, what makes the stories work best. 
yeah, you create a full a full world, an immersed world where one decision from whoever can really mm-hmm. impact you. And I think I write medieval fantasy as well. Um, I write dark fantasy because I love making everything terrible and grim. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's like a decision from one king that impacts another kingdom um, mm-hmm. or the decisions of a god that impacts everything else is all these different uh these different paths you can take and i think a lot of people um would be better served by doing that more often taking the taking an understanding that one choice from one character should impact everyone else and it shouldn't just go completely unnoticed um i did want to ask you um so can you tell us a little bit about what your story is about give us a yes um so um, so the, the series is called the archives of Isinkran. Uh, Isinkran literally means the five kingdoms, uh, from the ancient elf tongue. And yes, there are elves, um, not many, uh, most of the elves in my, my series have, um, at least the, the, the true elves, uh, the, the ones that are more kind of Tolkien esque, uh, they have intermarried with humans and have created a, a crossbreed called halflings. And so most of their descendants are half human or some derivation of human and elf uh, in the genealogies. Um, and, uh, and so these five kingdoms, they, they kind of work in, in cooperation. Each one has its own style of government and structure. Uh, but like the European Union, they have, uh, they have a, a singular currency, open borders, um, you know, open trade agreements, stuff like that. And so they provide for the needs of the others through different, um, different trade interactions and, and agreements and arrangements and whatnot. Um, and so the, uh, the, the whole premise behind it is that uh, the first book, uh, the, the bad guy from the prologue, his name is Menonias. He was this ancient warlord, uh, goes about trying to kill pretty much every single dragon in existence just out of sheer spite. Um, almost succeeds until he's just, he's stopped. Um, and he makes this, 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 uh, prediction before, you know, before he dies that one of his heirs will, will take over. And everyone's like, well, he never had kids, never had a wife, never had any concubines. Uh, no kids were ever around him. It's never going to happen. But the first book is called the heirs of Mennonite. So yes, it does happen. Um, and I'm kind of a, I'm a a big stickler for balance. So there's three heroes, three villains. Um, and the three villains are the three sons, the three heirs of Mennonites. Um, and so basically it's, it's them, the, the heroes coming together to fight the heirs, um, and seeing those interactions. Um, and then, um, the second book picks up it. Uh, I've got, so I've got three hero characters in the first book. Um, I also have a character named Asher. Hey. Um, so Asher, um, Gavin, and Amara. And book two follows Gavin as uh, picking up basically the quest he was supposed to go on in book one. He picks that up in book two. Um, and so you get, to, you get to see a little bit more of the five kingdoms than what is seen in book one. Uh, including some time spent out on the ocean, uh, which is, which was fun for me because I wrote it. I I spent about nine days of the writing process on a cruise down to Mexico. 
so it was really neat to kind of be out on the ocean in a storm, um, getting to, to cruise the ocean for a little bit um, because it really helped bring some realism to what I was writing. Um, and then, um, and so book two fil- kind of fulfills uh, Gavin's portion of the, of the, the story. Book three takes place concurrently with book two. So there's some overlap in some of the scenes just told from different perspectives. And that one follows Asher and his dealings because uh, he is part celestial and he is interacting with vampires who he, he becomes very intimately uh, involved with them, not in like any kind of like physical sexual relational way. It's more of, he becomes kind of a, a, a de facto leader for them. Uh, to an extent, because their clan leader is, he's just kind of in it for him, himself. The vampires are, are uh, they're actually going through and uh, they're essentially dying um, mm-hmm. because people have figured out, hey, we can avoid vampires if we do X, Y, and Z, um, because these are their weaknesses. If we just don't go out at nighttime. We don't invite them into our homes. We, uh, we don't make ourselves victims they can't hurt us if we stay out of the mountains where they are hiding in caves they can't get to us um and so you and so you know you've got this population that are are basically predators um that cannot uh uh prey on any of their their usual uh food sources and so eventually that becomes a problem for them um and so uh you know, it's like, it's like having an ocean full of, of great white sharks. Eventually they're going to run out of a food source. They'll start cannibalizing each other. And then they're, mm. they're, you know, their numbers dwindle substantially. Um, and so it's, it's kind of about that, but it's also about bringing them back into it. And uh, it also it, it explores uh, this really fun um, interconnectedness that I have between elves, vampires, dragons, and humans. Um and uh, it kind of branches out and explores that there are not just one type of elf, but there's multiple types of elves. And, um, and so, yeah, it kind of goes from there and it deals with those, the, that story. Book four um, takes a character who is a, a secondary character in, in book two and puts him front and center. And he goes to a completely different location outside of the five kingdoms and he gets to fight demons and it's just it's it's a lot of fun and it book four was actually kind of a catharsis for me i was working through some uh, some personal things and uh, and it allowed me the opportunity to work through that in kind of a healthy creative mm-hmm. way without it being super destructive for me um and then uh now i'm working on book five and book five uh, jumps ahead 20 years. So book four closed out a whole generation of characters. Book five jumps ahead 20 years. We're dealing with a new generation of characters. Some of them are, are offspring of, of the characters from the first, the first set. And uh, it's a lot of fun because I get to introduce some characters I've been working on and designing for a number of years. And I finally get to include them into uh, this process. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the, I love the, the full overview because it just gives you such a indication of how much more the world can grow in the story from even the first book and how you explained it to where you end up it's just like you can see the progression which I think is always really cool about a series 
um, even more so than any other story, type of story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I, that's part of the thing I like about writing a series. Like I keep wanting to work on other things. And every time I start working on some other project, my brain's like, no, 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 no. We, we, we can do this. <laughs> Let's work on this. And I'm like, <laughs> like curses. Uh, like I've already got stuff for, for book six already in, already in play. And like, um, what's funny is one of the, one or two of the chapters that I've wrote for book five, uh, it's where it's actually one of the end chapters. Uh, I'm like, Ooh, that could, that could be a great part in like the opening of book six. So I'm like, I'm already thinking ahead. I'm already pre-writing and, and laying things out. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. What's really been fun is I get to work with some really fun, uh, creative types. Um, last year I had, I connected with an author from Indiana I uh, got to interview her on my YouTube channel and um, she actually did some really great um, new cover art for my book series. Cause before the art was each book had its own style of art um, and she was able to uniform it and make it look really, really good. And uh, like she kept something thematic from the original cover art, but made it her own style. And it was really great that she did that because it allowed me that opportunity to, to just, you know, make everything look a little bit better, you know, from a, a cover perspective, because people do judge books literally mm-hmm. by their covers. Um, but then, um, you know, I, I've, I connected with an author or not an author, but an artist through Fiverr who did the maps for my series. And she did such a great job. I was like, in fact, the map that she did for book four, was done in a style that she hadn't used in a couple of years. So when I asked her to come back and and do a map in that same style for book four, like two years later, she's like, okay, um, haven't done that in a while, but let let me, okay, let's do that. And so she did that and it looks, it looks, I mean, it's, there's some thematic elements that are a little bit different than, because you can see that there's, there's an improvement in her, in her graphic design, Mm. but it was super awesome. Uh, I'm hoping she's still going to be available because I've got, two maps that I have to have her do for book for book five, because book five really jumps outside of uh, the five kingdoms in a big way. Like I'm uh, I've got characters. I've got two main characters going to another country called Ronso, which is across the sea, which um, that was a lot of fun to explore because um, I really got to get in depth with some of the designs and some of the, the lore for this country, mm. which um, is part of culturally, linguistically, even thematically, um, is a blend between ancient Greek and, uh, feudal Japan, uh, influences. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of this nice little merging. Um, uh, and I actually use the two languages to create the Ronsonian language, um, which requires a lot of work and a lot of back and forth on Google, uh, translate. Um, but then uh, the other location is this, this, this frozen wilderness is basically Canada um, and it's called the Frostlands. And, uh, and so it's, um, it's just this barren glacial wilderness. Um, and so I'm, I'm I, there are no landmarks other than like a couple of locations and I'm, I'm hoping she'll be available to do a, a map in that. Cause eventually what I'd like to do is I'd like to have all these different, uh, pieces of the map put into one large map um, so you get to see the whole thing 
and what what this world looks like because it would be really fun because like because book four takes place on an island province that's like like it would take like two months just to get from that island all the way back to the five kingdoms so yeah it's uh it really involved but it would be a lot of fun yeah it's like taking a massive endeavor you write in a series it just I feel like it's so much fun because that's how we've been writing our books. Um, I just finished the second book in October and released it and I'm working on the third book now. And it just, it's crazy to even just think about where this can go from here and all the stories, because there's so many smaller concepts that I really want to explore uh, things we brought up that I'm like, this is, this would make a book by itself. And I feel like mm-hmm. when you write a series, it's like, Dude, everything, it can be a book. Like, I could literally make a novella out of half the concepts if I just explore it a little bit more. Um, oh, yeah, so absolutely. Well, the, the content that became book two, um, that actually had started off as, it had two, it had two different functions. Um, part of it is a retelling of a novella project that I worked on during my freshman year of high school. Um, and it, which that version had the had the Gavin character. He was a uh, uh, modern day vigilante superhero character um, based out of the Bay Area, um, dr- still dragon themed. But like, imagine Batman with a dragon overlay um, and armor that you know was nanotech, kind of similar to Iron Man. So mm-hmm. that's that was kind of the initial basis for it. And, uh, and so I took what I, it just, it seemed like a natural progression to take that project I'd worked on and overlay it into what I was doing for book two. It just, it seemed like a very natural progression. And, um, but initially my idea was to have that story, that, that journey be in book one. And I came to realize partway through the writing process that it was going to be such a long section it needed to be its own story. Mm. And so I reworked book one where I could kind of just take, take that chunk out and uh, uh, I have everything else that goes into play so that what Gavin decides to do with his training and all that uh, leads him in that direction where he has to face that obstacle and that part of his quest. And he's, and it, there's no other choice because if he if he gives up on that again, it's just going to create chaos for so many people. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, so that so I'm, my brain's constantly thinking about what I can do next, and um, there's there's no stopping it apparently. Oh yeah, they once it goes, once you start, it just the world can get so vast. And right, you're mm-hmm. creating a new country. It's like you just start making new stuff, right? You, oh yeah, <laughs> you just start going across the sea. Like what's over there, and then you can start creating even more. So I feel like it just it it never ends until you decide mm-hmm. it does. Um, I did want to ask another question. We're we're coming up on the end of our time, but it's what okay. advice do you have for uh for new authors or people who are who who want to get in, who want to start writing books if they but they they feel hesitant because I know a lot of people that feel hesitant. Yeah. Um, first of all, if, if you're, if you're hesitant about writing, you're not sure that this is something you don't want to do or if something, if you're not sure if it's something you want to do, um, don't rush yourself, 
Don't force yourself into doing something you don't want to do. Um, if this is something that you, that you're really interested in trying, try it. Mm. Even if what you write is going to be bad, because uh, I mean, you, there's a ton of memes all across social media of, you know, the first draft is always you telling yourself the story or the first draft is always going to be you dumping sand into the sandbox or the first draft is always going to be garbage. You're going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to pull something good out of it through the editing process. Some, some, you know, platitude along those lines. Um, I, I teach creative writing to my students and I've got a lot of kids who are like, I don't like this. I hate this. And I'm like, Okay, but give it a shot. You don't know if you're going to really enjoy it until you get to the end of it. Um, I had kids uh, who were, I, you know, we just were coming up on the end of a, a poetry section. And I've got kids who, like, when they heard we were going to be doing poetry, they're like, this sucks. I hate this. I don't like poetry. And I'm like, you guys listen to music, right? And they're like, yeah, you listen to poetry every single day. They're like, oh, yeah. And so as I've, had the, as I've challenged them to write stuff, I've been impressed with what they're coming up with. I'm, I'm working with seventh, eighth and ninth graders. And I've got kids who are like, I can't write. I don't, I don't have a creative bone in my body and they're writing haiku. Like they've been doing it their entire lives. Mm. And because it's, it's like, once you know what the rules are, it's really easy to do all next semester is going to be fun because we're going to be just writing fiction. It's whatever they want to make it. Um, they, they're going to have certain things that they have to aim for certain, uh, certain tropes, certain genres, but they, uh, they get to uh, basically it's carte blanche for them. They can do what they want, but yeah, if it's something you want to do, give it a shot. Don't, don't worry about what other people say, um, but be willing to put in the work because writing is it, it's work. Uh, my brother once tried to give me grief because my brother's a personal trainer. So he, he, he literally works out 20 hours a day for a living. Um, he goes, he, he goes to work in shorts. Um, and, he, you know, he tried to tell me that it's just writing. It's, it's not really work. And I'm like, dude, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, from the early drafts, the, the pre-writing concepts, uh, the character designs, the character layouts, um, the dossiers, the, the landscapes, all the research that you have to do to make sure things sound realistic. Um, it, is, it is very, very intensive. And so you need to be willing to do the work. Um, there's a comic book shop here in town that I've done uh, local events for uh, for the last few years, and there's this guy who shows up every time. He almost practically lives there because he plays Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon or something. And this guy keeps talking about all this these ideas he has for a story he wants to write. And I'm like, okay, let's get to writing. And every time I'm there, he pops up. He's like, well, here's what I've got in my notebook, and it's just all these character designs and, and layout designs. I'm like, this is great, but what have you written? He's like nothing. And I'm like, then you're not a writer yet until you write something. So if you're going to, so advice, hands down, if this is something you want to do, explore the options to as far as you can get it, make sure you're doing the work because it is hard work. And, uh, lastly, um, you know, don't call yourself a writer if you're not going to write. Yeah. I think I support all those, all those thoughts. That was, that was great. That's literally it. Um, a lot of people want to write. A lot of people think about writing. And I think there's there's so many barriers. Um, a lot of them are mental barriers, things that people put up themselves uh, that prevent them. But everyone has a story that they can tell. Everyone has a story mm-hmm. that's worth hearing. Um, and 
in all honesty, it's just a lot of fun. Like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> just a, it's, it's so much more fun than people <laughs> give it credit for. Like you can create a world, a society that literally falls whatever rules you want it to. And hey, oh, yeah. Oh, it's 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 so much fun. It's amazing. It's so much fun. <laughs> Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I want to give you a chance to to drop where people can find you, where they can connect with you, and where they can buy your books. Yeah, so my books are available for uh, for sale on Amazon. Uh, you can just do a search for Garrett K. Jones, um, and it will pop up. The Archives of Isink Ran, uh, books one through four. Uh, that, that's the heirs, the heirs of Menonias, the Destiny of Dragons, Rise of the Shadowkin, and Hadrian Corvus of Farfell. Uh, they're all available on Kindle and paperback. Um, and with the Cyber Monday deals going on right now, uh, you can probably p- pick them up really cheap. They usually run for about $15 or less on paperback. Uh, and they're about $2.99 on Kindle. Uh, I do recommend getting the paperback because then you get that, uh, that, that fresh book smell. Um, and it's also really hard to autograph someone's Kindle. Um, the... Uh, <laughs> As far as finding me on social media, uh, at GKJ underscore publishing, um, it's kind of a joke. It's, it's, my, it's my initials, publishing. Everyone thinks I'm an actual publishing house, and I'm like, no, sorry. <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke. It's a, it's a pun. Um, but yeah, at GKJ underscore publishing is my handle. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram using that one. Uh, I'm on YouTube. I'm the only one using GKJ publishing for YouTube, and uh, I do writing tips, uh, top 10, uh, book recommendations. Um, I do author interviews. And then I, this season, I just started doing more regular, uh, live streams where I'm talking about, you know, just my creative process and, and what I'm doing and how things are going with my editing and all that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for making some time to come on the show. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I feel like I could have kept going for like at least another hour. So I might have to have you come back on. Awesome. Awesome. I'd love, I'd love to be back and I'd love to extend the invitation to have you come on my show as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll definitely reconnect. Uh, this has been an episode of Scribble Notes. Stay tuned for more. Yeah. You are now rocking with the greatest podcast. Scribble Notes. Great topics. Good conversations. Every week. Scribble Notes. You don't want to miss. And if you miss, make sure you tune in. Scribble Notes. Yeah, scribble notes, uh, scribble notes when I wrote these quotes If I offend, pardon me, there's more of me to grow Creative in my process, enjoy the show The will is different when you recognize the different strokes Different folks, same goals, we all want the most So when we reach the top, we can enjoy the toast The type of bread we get is fresh about the bakery Told them don't play with me, with or without a degree Don't question my intensity, bravery Similar to agencies that want to see you fold So just pray for me, pray for me. Einstein with my energy, mass times infinity Been a gift since I laid my eyes on that Christmas tree uh, The star at the top told me what I'm supposed to be Can't relate, you not dope as me, I'm everything I hope I be Sometimes a Rolex travels ends up turning to Canal Street You are now rocking with the greatest podcast Scribble Notes Great topics, good conversations Every week, Scribble Notes You don't want to miss And if you miss, make sure you tune in